the next solar cycle begins. I'm Tanya Hall and joining me is Dr. Nikki Fox, Heliophysics Division Director for the Science Mission Directorate at NASA. Welcome back, Nikki. Thank you so much. So give us an update. What are some of the current missions that fall under your purview today? So we have a very vibrant portfolio. Um, we cover everything literally from the interior of the sun all the way out to the very edge of the sun's um, area of influence, which we call the heliosphere. There's a very fragile boundary there between uh, where the sun's influence stops and the interstellar space starts. And so one of our, our flagship missions, if you like, are the two Voyager spacecraft, because they've actually crossed through that boundary and they're outside in interstellar space. And of course they are, you know, in their forties um, as spacecraft go, they were launched as a five year mission to do planetary flybys. And then they just kept on going. And in fact, we didn't even really know much about the boundary before. It was, it was um, certainly theorized that there would be this boundary there and, and what it may look like. Um, so we didn't really even really know what we were looking for quite until uh, the first one, Voyager 1, um, left uh, the heliosphere. Uh, a couple of years ago, Voyager 2 also went out. And now we have really great, um, there are only single point measurements because it's just the two spacecraft, but these two measurements of what that boundary looks like. And that's actually leading us to um, now go for a, a much bigger mission to really focus on that atmosphere or that, that region, sorry, out in the very outer heliosphere. And that is our IMAP uh, mission, which is um, going to sit at the L1 point, about a million miles upstream of the Earth. Um, and it will actually take images or take remote sensing measurements of this, this boundary. So excited about um, that, that sort of outer region. And of course, in the inner heliosphere, we have Parker Solar Probe that is continuing to make great perihelion passes, uh, great, very close passes. Uh, actually, there'll be one in the middle of January that is visible here from Earth. And by that, I mean that the footprint were, uh, or the, the, the place that Solar Probe is actually going through, um, we're, it's on the same side as, as, as the Earth. So we're, we're going to have a very big ground-based campaign, all of the solar telescopes and a lot of the other um, uh, assets here on Earth are going to support that campaign. So Solar Probe will be sort of skimming through the corona, uh, Solar Orbiter will be taking images and uh, all of the ground-based um, network of solar observatories will also be on. So a lot of excitement around that uh, perihelion pass in January. And then after that, immediately after that, we do another Venus flyby and we plunge even closer into the sun. So um, a, a lot of a lot of great things going, going on. There's the sort of two extremes. And then closer to Earth, uh, we just put an, a mission concept um, into, into the formulation phase, which is called the Geospace Dynamics Constellation. That is six small spacecraft uh, that will orbit uh, through the ionosphere thermosphere region. And they're gonna look at kind of an, another very important boundary. And that is where terrestrial weather from below meets space weather from above. And we hadn't really realized until fairly recently that the terrestrial weather system actually has an impact on the ionosphere thermosphere as well. It isn't just what's coming in from uh, driven by the sun, but it's also what's uh, driven by our earth below. So very excited about uh, that one joining us in the next few years. As I say, we're just starting that mission. I'll be putting out calls for people to um, suggest instruments to fly on those six spacecraft very soon. So lots of things happening in Helio as usual.
as usual, and even more so than than I think most people realize. As if 2020 wasn't notable enough, the year also marked the end of the solar cycle 24 and the beginning of solar cycle 25. So what is a solar cycle and how do we know for certain that a new cycle has started? That's a great question. So a solar cycle is, um, is an 11, roughly 11 year period um, in, the, in the sun's life. Um, so this, the sun has a magnetic field similar to the earth, kind of a north-south pointing magnetic field. And every 11 years that, that flips in polarity. And we, it's because we think of, of um, differential rotations. So the, the plasma or the material around the equator of the sun actually rotates faster than um, the, the, the stuff at the poles. And so as that magnetic field, it's kind of getting coiled up on itself um, over the course of time. Um, you, you see these little loops that kind of pop out, they're little magnetic field loops that are twisted and they sort of stand above um, the, the solar surface. We call those um, sunspots. Those are where we see activity. And so often those sunspots will actually uh, get very active and then they will kind of explode. And that's what sends all of the coronal material out into the solar wind. And it can come and impact us here on earth and drive space weather. Um, so every 11 years that actually the, the whole thing kind of rotates and flips. And we know that we've started to see new, uh, new so, uh, sorry, a new solar cycle when we see sunspots of a different polarity. And so, you know, you, you now know you've got the, the, the overall magnetic field is in the, in the other direction and you start to see sunspots forming that look a little different to the old ones. And they will then migrate closer and closer to the equator as the activity um, cycle picks up. So at solar maximum, you see a lot of sunspots on the sun, a lot of activity, a lot of these coronal loops, a lot of flares and coronal mass ejections. Solar minimum, the sun is cooler and quieter. Um, the sunspots have kind of gone away. They're usually more around the polar region and we're getting ready to, uh, to kind of wind up and start again for a new solar cycle. As, as you mentioned, um, you've got a lot of missions uh, on your plate right now. How might increased solar activity affect other NASA missions? Well, so most of the time we are um, resilient to uh, the, the big space weather. And, and what we really want is to see big space weather. I mean, that's, that's what we want to do. And I often have people who've asked me, so are you worried that Parker Solar Probe will be really close to the sun when this when this really big event goes off. And I say, no, I'm worried that we won't be close to the sun and we'll miss it because we, this is what we want to do. We want to be really close and we want to see a, you know, a beautiful event go off and, and be in the region where kind of the excitement is happening. And so we design the missions to withstand um, that, that type of, of um, environment. And we do a lot of planning beforehand and a lot of modeling of what kind of things do they have to withstand. Now, I mean, that doesn't mean that um, spacecraft won't see effects and often you, you'll see some of our optical instruments get kind of blinded. Um, it looks like snow that forms on the detector and they are the high, um, high radiation particles that are usually expelled with um, a solar flare. And so we can often see the detectors get very noisy for a little while and then they, um, you know, they, they quieten down when the, when the activity stops. But really for me, I wanna see a nice active solar cycle, lots of nice events, and really be able to understand those impacts here on Earth. Are there any preparations that businesses, utilities, and institutions should consider 
to account for increased solar activity? Well, so um, certainly uh, looking and, and working with NOAA, uh, so the Space Environment uh, Prediction Center out in Boulder has the responsibility for providing all of the predictions and the forecasts. Um, and there are an awful lot of businesses actually follow them and sign up for their alerts. And so that's certainly uh, the first place I would go would be to sign up for NOAA, NOAA alerts, and then you'll know if there's a, a big event uh, predicted to come. And usually when there's a, a good um, idea of when it's going to arrive and how big it's going to be. And they have a lot of indices, um, a bit like a hurricane index. Um, they, they you know, they have the categories. They do that also for space weather. You know, Nikki, I can't talk with you about solar activity without asking about one of my favorite NASA stories, which is the Parker Solar Probe and Dr. Eugene Parker. So how's the probe, probe performing, right? And, and what does Dr. Parker think about the mission that bears his name so far? So again, he's, he's always very excited about hearing what's happening uh, with the mission, but the mission is doing very well. Uh, we are um, continuing to make our, our close passes and, and uh, this, this particular perihelion pass that we're preparing for now is incredibly busy with both um, the, the visible nature of the, the footprint of the spacecraft, as well as the Venus flyby. And they've got a couple of, of maneuvers that they have to do. So it's a very busy orbit with a lot of planning. But uh, very exciting. He's loving seeing all of the new results that are coming out. Uh, there was a paper that said that they thought that they might have found nanoflares, which of course is one of Gene's um, major predictions for uh, at least a you know a piece of the coronal heating. And so um, you know it was fun to kind of forward that to him and say, hey, Christmas came early for the Parkers this year. You know that there's a possibility we found nanoflares. So um, and and uh, he was very excited um, about about that. So yes, he continues to follow the news. And um, he actually, I, I think we already talked about this, but he was awarded the Crawford Prize um, for astronomy last year. And unfortunately, because of COVID, we couldn't travel out to Sweden in May for the event. It was like a career highlight for me because I was going to give his um, one of his keynote lectures. And so I was really excited about it. It was like a once in a lifetime thing for me. But um, they are looking at hopefully doing it this May. If not, I, I hope they'll at least do something virtual. And I know he's been working very hard with um, his his student who is now in, in you know a very, very accomplished scientist who's in his 70s, but Gene still refers to him as his student. It's really sweet. Um, and uh, he's they're, they're working together on, on a, a kind of an overview paper of all of the work that Gene has done. So uh, fingers crossed um, that we are able to either travel to, um, to Sweden or if not, then at least find some virtual way to, to really honor him because that's an amazing achievement. It certainly is. And we have something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Where can Earthlings go to find out more about the solar cycle 25 and space weather uh, in general? So uh, follow, follow us on Twitter at uh, NASA Sun. You can follow us on Facebook at NASA Sun Science. Um, all things NASA, of course, nasa.gov. And um, you can also follow me at SolarGirl2018. Um, and uh, I'm usually tweeting things about what's going on in heliophysics. So um, there's a lot going on under the sun right now. I love it. A lot going on under the sun. Thanks again, Nikki. Uh, and that's Dr. Nicola Fox, Heliophysics Division Director for the Science Mission Directorate at NASA. Uh, thanks again for joining us, Nikki. Thank you. And find more of my interviews right here on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify, 
over at tanyahall.net. Thanks for dialing in.